You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Really looking forward to seeing you as well tonight uh, at our family meeting at 5 p.m. And so um, we'll gather tonight for some really uh, important testimonies and announcements and eat some food together and maybe have some Q&A. So 5 o'clock tonight is our, is our family meeting. If you're new here, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors and so glad that you can be with us here today. Um, there's lots of people that would love to help you understand who we are at the Vine. If you're new here, you come talk to me, talk to anybody up on the stage, maybe the friend who brought you. Um, there's lots of information about our church at the table in the back. We are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open that up to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And we're going to be reading from uh, verse 14 of chapter 2 until verse 18. In chapter 2, there's, there's just a lot of dense, theologically rich concepts, and that's also true today. And um, so we, sometimes we have to kind of put on our thinking caps, and we have to pay attention, and we have to think um, a little harder about what's going on in this text. And so today's one of those Sundays as well. So there's, there's deep riches here to be mined. And somebody said... Um, Raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might get gold. And so um, consider that as we work through Hebrews. Hebrews 2, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through faith, I'm sorry, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This morning we're going to see three phases or three aspects of freedom that come in the Christian life. And the, the three are this that we're going to see from the text. As Christians, we're, we're freed from the fear of death. We're freed from the wrath of God. And we're freed from giving in to sin. In our text this morning, you're going to see three main things, three styles of freedom for the Christian life. Freed from the fear of death. Freed from the wrath of God. And freed from giving in to sin. Look at verse 15 with me. 
Back up to verse 14, actually. That though death, that through death, Jesus' death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. So when Jesus died, by his death, he defeated Satan. He defeated the power of sin, which is death, the Bible says. And what was the result? The result was verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Death can, fear of death can be a type of slavery for us in our human experience. I think most of us can relate to that in a way. The key word here, though, is that Jesus came to deliver us from that. To deliver us from that. But it's easier said than done, right? I mean, death is strange. It really is a strange idea. My uncle, um, we just went to his funeral, and it was 10 weeks from diagnosis to death for him. He passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, of a cancer, a very, very aggressive cancer, 10 weeks from diagnosis to death. And you're sitting at this funeral and you're just like, this person is just gone and there's like this emptiness. There's no reason to believe that couldn't be you or me. We have no promise that it, that it won't be. But we feel about death like this great unknown now, if, if you're a Christian this morning, the Bible speaks a lot about death and what happens when you die. And we can have confidence in a lot of things in reference to what happens after you die physically. But there are lots of things that we just don't know that are still mysteries to us in our human condition. But if you were not a Christian and had no hope beyond the grave, you could see why it would be kind of taboo for us to talk about it too much. Like, if you were just talking about death all the time, I mean, people would think you're probably weird at best and scary at at worst. Like, how often do you go to a party and you're just like, hey, let's talk about death, right? That's not a topic of conversation that we're going to bring up very often. And I think that points to the fact that we would like to avoid it, even though we know that it's coming for all of us. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to reflect on death. And I think it boils down to what this text says here, what it testifies to in verse 15. Human nature is pretty consistent across the board in some ways. We have fear or unease around this idea of death. But what what does the text say? Let your eyes look at the text. He says that we can be delivered from this fear. We can be delivered from this fear because of what Jesus has done. There can be relief from this taboo subject. There can be freedom to talk about it openly without fearing offense or seeming weird. The Bible says we don't have to be a slave to this fear. It doesn't have to overcome us. We don't have to obsess about it. See, if Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, then you know, if you're a Christian this morning, united to Jesus, symbolized in baptism, you will rise as well. And the penalty of your sin has no hold on you to condemn you. Like verse 14 says, look at it. The devil's been defeated in the death of Jesus. He has no 
real, long-term, lasting power over us. Jesus took that away. So you are emancipated from this slavery. You are emancipated from this slavery. Death is not to be feared because life is what awaits us. Isn't that, you remember what what Jesus said to Martha in John chapter 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So implication, nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. I love this quote from the famous evangelist uh, D.L. Moody. He says this, Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Do, don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is, all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that, cannot, that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born in the spirit, 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. Sounds like someone who's been emancipated from the, from the, from the fear of death, right? Paul says it even better. Can't do much better than the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, it's on the screen. When the perishable our physical bodies, puts on the imperishable, our future bodies, resurrected bodies, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Great rhetorical question. Implication, it's nowhere. It's nowhere to fear. O death, where is your sting? It has no sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, meaning no more fear. Because we have the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you've been emancipated from slavery of the fear of death. If you're in Christ today, that's true of you. So we should live like it. So we should live like it, okay? So first thing we're going to see this morning is that Because of what Jesus has done in the gospel, we are freed from the fear of death. We are freed from the fear of death. Secondly, we are freed from the wrath of God. Look at verse 16. So we just got done saying that we're we're freed from this fear of death because Jesus conquered death and we're united to him. Everything that's true of him is now true of us. If you're in Christ, and it continues, for surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. There's a lot here. Let's just think about it. Uh, we won't get to everything. We won't unpack all the, the beauty of this text this morning. But I want you to look at verse 16. It's not angels he helps. But who does he help? He helps the offspring of 
Abraham. And this is just an encouraging verse if you reflect on it with me. Do you ever think of Jesus as your helper? As your helper? Man, I feel like I need help all the time. And I'm not just saying that. And this verse reminds me that, that God is not some grumpy person standing far off, arms crossed, just like standing there, scowl on his face, just waiting for you to get your act together. That's not, that's not our God as presented in the scriptures. No, it says Jesus came to help us. He wants to help us. He lives to help us. He helps the offspring of Abraham, meaning those who come to him by faith like Abraham did. So let that encourage you this morning if you're feeling like you just need help. There's so much more to say about this text, but it's just, it's never less than that. Jesus loves to help you. By his spirit, he, he wants to help you. Jesus loves to help his people. But the, the kind of help that he gives us has more specificity in this text. And, and the biggest help that we need is to be delivered from the wrath of God. Now, this text doesn't say the word wrath of God, but it's all over this text. We can be freed from the wrath of God. That's the second part of this sermon. We need help to be removed from the wrath of God that justly hangs over all sinners. And, and if you look at the word propitiation at the end of verse 17, look at it there. That's all, that word is all about the wrath of God that we, that we find in verse 17, propitiation. We're going to come back to that. But I want us to pause and think about the wrath of God just as a concept before we consider how we're freed from the wrath of God, okay? So freed from the fear of death, freed from the wrath of God. Now some people, when they, when they think about the wrath of God on sin, they think about it as barbaric, outdated, offensive. But I want to submit this morning that this is a belief held by someone who has the privilege of never having been victimized brutally. Think about that. It happens all over our world. If you've been brutally victimized and you're powerless against that, which happens all over our world today, has happened all throughout world history, if you're powerless and you've been brutally victimized, the wrath of God to handle it to balance the, the scales of justice. That makes total sense. You would long for that, right? See, being able to critique the wrath of God is kind of only from the position of privilege. But think about it like this. Who wants a God who just sweeps sin under the rug, Right? Like if somebody brutally betrays you or steals all of your savings account or murders someone you love, do you want a God who just sweeps that under the rug and says, mm, I guess we'll just look the other way on that one? If you're the victim or, or you love the victim, that's not what you want to hear from God, is it? No, 
You don't want that kind of God. In that case, you want a God of wrath who can balance the scales of justice and you say, Lord, please do it quickly. But the challenge comes then, what about when we are found guilty? See, that's when we love it if God would just sweep it under the rug, right? So we're confronted with this double standard in our hearts. So if we're honest, we have to admit that God's justice and wrath is a good thing. But it's also a terrifying thing for those of us who are sinners, all of us. So here's the key question. Where is there hope for rescue from the wrath of God justly poured out on sinners? And this verse answers that question so beautifully. Look at the words, Jesus, the high priest. A merciful and faithful high priest. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus is the high priest and the sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest and the sacrifice. And that's how he removes us from the fear of the wrath of God. So a little backstory about high priests and this original audience and what they would have been thinking. When you say high priest, the original audience here with a Jewish background, they're thinking about what we would read in the Old Testament. And the priest would do lots of things, but the the main, most important thing would be once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, and he would offer a sacrifice of an animal, a pure and spotless animal, a lamb. And this lamb would symbolize that it's going to bear the wrath of God, death, in our place as our substitute. And God will simply, we just believe that he's going to do it because he says he's going to do it. We believe by faith that he will forgive our sins if there's a substitute. And the wrath of God would fall on that substitute and we would go free. And God's people would be be reminded that God is a God of wrath. His wrath will be poured out, but it will be poured out on a substitute so that we don't have to bear it. So God is a God of wrath and he's a God of profound mercy. And those centuries of sacrifice for God's people in the Old Testament that we learn a ton about later in the book of Hebrews and what that means for us. For now, just know that all of that was one big centuries-long sermon illustration for the original audience and us to understand this verse. How is it that that Jesus is a, a merciful and faithful high priest? He is the faithful human high priest. He is the mediator between God and man. But he's utterly unique as a high priest because he's also the sacrifice. He's both. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the ancient priests offered sacrifices, but Jesus offered himself. He became both priest and sacrifice. It's like... Like the lawyer who represents you in the law court actually going to prison on your behalf. You hear that? And why did Jesus do this? Look at the end of verse 17. The key phrase, to make propitiation. To make propitiation. Now what does this word mean? 
We don't use this very often in English language. It's a very, very important word biblically. It means, propitiation means the removal or taking away of God's wrath through sacrifice. Just remember, it's, it's the taking away of God's wrath. So this is the ultimate help that we need, right? We started talking about help. We need help. We need help to, for the wrath of God to be removed. Like, Lord, help me. I can't bear your wrath for my sin. I stand terrified. And God says, be, be comforted. Be comforted. My wrath is absorbed in myself, in the person of Jesus Christ. I turned it on myself. I love you that much. I've removed my wrath from you and poured it on myself. So when you see the cross, see this. I am helpless. God is my helper. Let that comfort you this morning. If you are in Christ, the wrath of God has been removed from you. You are freed from the wrath of God. So you're freed from the fear of death, freed from the wrath of God, and finally, freed from giving in to sin. Freed from giving in to sin. Finally, we, we close with this theme of help, Jesus as our helper. Those of us so in need of help. Look at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Hebrews 4, we're going to see this later on and have a whole sermon on it probably, but it tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Jesus fully understands and relates to the human experience of our temptation. He was fully human. Fully God, fully human. So in light of that, the author of Hebrews wants to highlight Jesus has empathy for you. Jesus knows what it's like. God himself, think about that. God himself has empathy for you. You know how when you have suffering, you're suffering under the weight of something, or you have had that experience, and someone else that you meet is currently having that same experience that you've suffered? You know how that just gives you more empathy for that person? For example, my mom has dealt with, uh, she's 78, she's, she's dealt with anxiety and depression uh, her whole life. Her whole life. And it's just been this kind of roller coaster she's been on. And one time when I was in college, my dad thought he was going to have to actually admit her um, to a psychiatric hospital because hospital, it got so bad. And I remember thinking back, even as an adult in my 20s, early 30s, just thinking, my mom's just kind of weird. Like, why can't you just get over it? Why can't you snap out of it? You need to kind of pull yourself together. It was a very, very superficial understanding of what was going on for my mom. But the point was, I had very little empathy for her, very little compassion. But then at age 39, the exact same thing happened to me. 
Anxiety and depression hit me like a ton of bricks in a way that was quite debilitating. So what's the result of that? The result of that is I have much, much greater compassion for my mom now. Much greater empathy. If you come to me and tell me that you are struggling with anxiety and depression, I'm not going to tell you to snap out of it. I'm not going to tell you to pull yourself together. I'm not going to tell you just to get over it. Like, what's your problem? Like, that, that's not going to be my response. Because I know what it's like. I won't think that you're weird. I will ache for you and with you. I'll feel deep sorrow with you and lots of other things we could talk about. But isn't that ultimately what we want from someone when suffering? Not for them just to make it all better, but just to know that they're with you, that they have empathy for you, that they will be in the messiness of it with you. And that's the great comfort of this last verse. Since Jesus has suffered in the same ways that we have, he's not aloof. He's not far off. He's not waiting for us to hurry up and get our act together kind of God. He has compassion for us because he's been through it too. He helps us. He's able to help. See it there, verse Verse 18, he's able to help those who are being tempted. See, when we're, when we're suffering, it's very easy to be tempted to sin. Like suffering just, you know, exposes everything. And when everything's exposed, what's in there is going to come out. When there's pressure and you're squeezed, what's in there is going to come out. And so oftentimes when we're suffering under pressure, being squeezed by the suffering, there's, there's great room for us to sin. And, and the text says that Jesus relates to that, not that he sinned, but he understands the feeling. And so he can help us in those moments. He has compassion for us in those moments. He is able to help Look at it there in verse 18. But what does that help actually look like? The text doesn't explicitly say. But I think we can make some great guesses from the rest of the Bible. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be better for you if I go away. Because what's going to happen? I'm going to send my spirit. The spirit is called the helper. That's how we translate that into English. So Jesus said, the Spirit, who is the helper? And the Spirit of God, we read in Acts chapter 2, is poured out and he lives in his people. And the Spirit of God helps us to change our desires from where sin used to look good, now it doesn't look as good anymore. And he changes our hearts to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, to conform to look like Jesus. The Bible says from one degree of glory to the next. So it's going to be progressive, but you're going to slowly look more and more like Jesus. It's never going to be perfect, but it's going to be progression of growth in your life. So if Jesus suffered in the wilderness while he was being tempted by Satan and overcame that temptation like we talked about last week, we can know that that same spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, lives in us. So we are helped by the spirit of God that is sent 
This is the very spirit of Jesus who lives in us. That's our help. So you don't have to. You're freed from having to give in when tempted. Saying no to temptation, it always feels like suffering in the short term. It always feels like suffering in the short term. But the spirit of Jesus lives in you to empower you to say no to the sin and say yes to Jesus. Jesus is your helper as he lives in you by his spirit. That's how he's able to help you. So let's allow this text this morning to shape our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's seen as our ultimate helper as we're freed from the fear of death, we're freed from the wrath of God, and we're freed from giving into sin. Let's pray.